Our reading is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. So, as David has said, today we're continuing our series on discipleship. And the, de- the definition of a disciple is being a devoted follower. And we've been considering over the last couple of weeks the person of Jesus, the person who we are devoted followers of. So the story continues this week with um, the passage in Mark that we've read after the Transfiguration, where Jesus and his three disciples who were up on top of the mountain, they come back down to what sounds like quite an intense scene, uh, where the rest of the disciples were in the middle of an argument with the um, teachers of the law about why they'd failed to cast out the demon of this young boy. And I'd like us to focus today on three specific statements in this passage, um, which we already started to pick out. And look at these three statements thinking, well, what can we learn from these about being disciples, being devoted followers? So the first is the statement that that David just mentioned, where Jesus expresses his frustration, you unbelieving generation. Um, This is a statement that tells us something about the heart of the person that we follow. The second statement is the declaration of the Father, which we've just been repeating, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. This This statement, I think, tells us something about the states of our hearts as we come to him. 
And the third statement is the statement where Jesus is his, having a bit of a debrief with his disciples after the event. And he says, this type only come out by prayer. And this statement, I think, is a statement that gives us an insight as we seek to model his work in the world, what we draw on, the resources that we have. So a statement that gives us something about the heart of the person we follow, a statement that is something about our hearts as we come to him, and a statement about what we can draw on as we seek to model uh, the missionary God that we have. And it seemed to me that these three statements, they do center around the dilemma and the tension of holding belief and unbelief at the same time. And this is surely something that resonates with us as disciples, isn't it? Perhaps they give us something of an insight into how to hold this tension and to live with the tension rather than finding an answer or a resolution. I don't think we can or we should put ourselves under pressure to be 100% certain about our faith. For me, that's not really realistic. Maybe it's not even a healthy way of being, um, living a life of faith. Because being a human fundamentally brings with it um, the need to live with tensions, with things that aren't resolved, with things that, that we love to have settled and clear and nicely, neatly packaged, but aren't. This is the state of being human. And so surely the rhythm of being a disciple is the rhythm of finding a way of holding these tensions in some way, holding our belief, holding our unbelief together. So let's have a look at this and turn to this first statement. So this is the statement that Jesus makes. Having had what must have been quite an incredible experience up on top of the mountain with the transfiguration that we read about last week, Jesus comes back down to find his disciples locked in a debate and an argument. And um, he seems to react quite harshly here. It's not entirely clear whether he's talking to the disciples saying, you unbelieving generation, whether he's talking to the teachers of the law, you unbelieving generation, or generally everyone at large, whether he's addressing everyone. The translation that we heard just now says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? If you read it in the message translation, it has a slightly different emphasis. You see, I was searching around to find a, 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 a version that was easy to work with. What a generation. No sense of God. How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Not a lot easier to work with. So I wonder what this is all about. What we know of Jesus is that he doesn't shy away from challenging people. He is willing to say the hard things. And we also know, as David pointed out last week, that in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 8, which is just before this, there's a bit of a turning point in the, in the Gospel where Mark um, has spent the first few chapters introducing Jesus and his actions in the world. And then it starts to turn to this, this acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah. And the time is short. Um, he won't be there forever. And I wonder if um, this is reflecting then a shift in what Jesus himself was paying attention to. Perhaps he started to consider this question, what will it take for people to believe? What will it take? Um, and perhaps he was becoming aware of this dilemma what would it take for them to think that he was more than an inspired teacher? For them to believe he was the Messiah, the more radical, uh, the more radical and challenging truth? What would it take for them to believe this, that there was a more dramatic future just around the corner? And so I wonder, was Jesus expressing here frustration, but also concern 
um, about this dilemma of their belief and the limits of their belief. He knew his disciples thought he was worth believing in. He knew they were following him, and he knew the crowds were interested in him. Of course he knew this. Would, however, would they believe he was the Messiah? Could they engage with the implications of this? Were they able to digest the dramatic truth of this? And maybe, following the incredible experience of the transfiguration, maybe Jesus is becoming more aware that time is short, um, that he might not have sufficient time with his disciples to help them go deeper. And so maybe this sounds like a pretty harsh exclamation and a harsh judgment, but do we see something here that actually arises out of concern, or out of the humanity of Jesus? This is maybe what keeps him awake at night. Uh, will they get it? Will they properly get it? So I might be completely on the wrong track there. Maybe we'll never know what exactly he was meaning. But I've been drawn to this as I've been preparing because I think this outburst is a reflection of how deeply Jesus cared, how deeply he cared that people believed that they got it. So the person that we're followers of cares deeply that we believe. He cares deeply that we understand and we, we engage with the impacts of his life in the world because he's a missionary God. He wants people to connect with him. He's deeply invested in us getting it. And he's not indifferent. And isn't that true? We don't get exercised and frustrated about things that we don't really care about. We get exercised and frustrated about things we care deeply about. So maybe this first statement gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus, the heart of the person that we follow, that he cares deeply that we're connected with him and that we get it. Let's turn to the second statement then, the second statement of importance. So the father of the young boy says to Jesus, you know, if you can do anything, have pity on us, have mercy on us. And Jesus reacts and says, anything is possible for those who have belief. And then the father says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. This is a searingly honest response isn't it? Searingly honest. Three things strike me about this. I was working in threes, you may notice. Three statements. Three <laughs> things strike me about this. Firstly, this statement is a statement that declares the limitations of his belief and his unbelief. It's a heartfelt cry from the Father, and he's desperately reaching out to Jesus. And as he's doing it, he's acknowledging where his limits are. This is where my limit is. I, don't, I, I believe, I hope against hope that things might be possible, but I'm not sure I believe. He's not certain, but he does seem to trust Jesus enough to say that. He shares it with Jesus. I wonder how often we feel we can acknowledge the limits of our belief, the limits of our faith. Does it seem permissible to say, I'm not sure I believe that God can act here? I'm not sure I believe in this aspect of theology that I'm not quite sure I get. Or I'm not quite sure if this will make a difference. And I have to say, I do notice that in myself. I think of situations, you know, like the, the war in Ukraine or the conflict in Gaza and Israel. And in the early days, as these things unfold, I'm in full prayer mode. I'm really feeling kind of mobilized with many others to really be praying. And I believe it will make a difference. And then time passes... And I start to despair more, and I start maybe to pray less. I still pray, but do I pray with the same conviction and belief? I'm not sure I can say I do. I, I pray with more unbelief. I pray because I know it is the right thing to do, and, I, and, and it's, you know, it's the way to deal with the situation. But I do have limits to my belief. 
I can't claim to be unwavering and steadfast in my belief that God's, God will work in some of these very complicated and some of these quite entrenched situations, both in the world stage, but also in the lives of those that I know and love. Sometimes things feel so stuck, I can't claim to have real belief. And so the cry of the Father here does resonate. Here is the limit of my belief. And it seems to me that that phrase, you know, anything is possible for those who believe, seems to me that over the generations that's been used in a way that brings so much judgment, so much misery and so much difficulty to people. This, this sense that if only you believed more, you would be healed. Or if only you believed more, this situation would be resolved. You're the problem getting in the way. I wonder actually whether this is, an, this is more about us acknowledging and being free to acknowledge where the limits of our belief are. I wonder if we can share the limitations of our belief with one another. Well, might it be possible if we were to circle around each other and say, yeah, this is where I'm getting to the, the end of kind of what I'm certain about or what I'm sure of. Help me, stand with me in my unbelief. Do you know, I think this would make us an extremely compassionate community if we could do that with one another. And I'd love to exercise the courage to say to you, my friends, this is where I'm running out of road. Um, I need to stand with you. I need you to stand with me. So firstly, this declaration of the Father shows the declaration of where his limits are. Secondly, I think it's a declaration which signals that he's letting go so I don't think what he's saying to Jesus here is, fill in all the blanks for me and help me be certain. I think instead it's letting go of the need for certainty and control. He's saying, I don't know. Here you go. You look after this for me. And so what he's asking is not for all the answers, but for Jesus to step into that gap of his unbelief. And this is quite a powerful insight for me. I'm very big on understanding things. I'm big on making sense of them, on holding on to them and making sure I fix things. And maybe this encouragement is for me to acknowledge where my limit is and to let God hold that, to let God hold that, to, to stand back and to give him some space. What might it look like if we were gathered together and we were honest about where our belief was running low and just stood with one another to let go and let it go to God? Let Jesus step in. And thirdly, three L's, limits, letting go. The third one, I think this is a statement that really reflects the longing of the Father. So when he reached the limits of his belief, he didn't turn away and give up. He went closer to Jesus. He stuck with it because he had the longing to, um, to, to bring him to God. So letting go doesn't mean giving in. The longing means that the desire of our hearts is to be in contact with God. And this is what the Father models for us, I think, with so much humanity. He doesn't turn away and give up. Because, and, and when he hears the statement of Jesus, you know, you unbelieving generation, how long do I have to be with you? He doesn't give up. He's powered by his longing, so he sticks with it. What a powerful statement that is. I believe, help, my, help me overcome my unbelief. Signaling, limit, knowing the limitations, letting go, and driven by the longing. And of course, Jesus responds, doesn't he? Of course he responds. He heals the boy. And so then later, let's come to our third statement. Later, when the disciples are with him, away from the crowd, they're asking him, why did we not manage to cast out this demon? And Jesus says, 
This kind can only come out by prayer. Now, I don't think Jesus here is giving them a teaching moment about the hierarchy of demonic possession and different techniques that you need for different levels of difficulty. I don't think that's what this is about, that this particular type needs this. I think what he's doing is what he always does, which is pointing to a deeper truth about this situation. And he's pointing to the value of prayer. And he's, um, he's essentially pointing them to the resource to be followers of this God, to be followers of the God who really cares, the resource that they have and the resource that we therefore have is prayer. And let's just revise what we already know about prayer. Prayer draws us nearer to God. (coughs) Prayer helps us to connect with God's heart on things, with his perspective. Prayer helps us know his character. Spending time with him, as in any relationship, we become more like the person that we spend time with. We're changed by it. So the source of hope, the source of belief, is God. And the way we connect with him is through prayer. To be able to hold the paradoxes and the tensions of what we encounter in our lives, the resource comes from prayer. So this type of demon only comes out through prayer, is teaching us of this enormous resource that we have. To be able to walk in the world in the way that Jesus walks in the world and to have the impact um, of his life in us. And so, can we draw around each other and can we support one another to deepen the quality of our prayer life? How confident am I to share with you, my friends, where I struggle with my prayer life, uh, what, where I'm at with it? Can we share that in this compassionate community that we create to help one another deepen the quality of that? So we have these three statements here. The first statement, Jesus' expression of concern and frustration, which gives us an insight into his heart. He cares deeply that we believe. The second statement of the Father that acknowledges the limitations of his belief, that um, allows him to let go and give Jesus some space, and is driven by his longing to be with him. And the third statement, which points us to prayer, and the resource we have if we want to follow in the footsteps of the missionary God that we follow. And so back to the tensions then, and how do we hold the tensions of our belief and our unbelief in our walk of faith? I receive daily email reflections from Richard Raw, who's a, an American Franciscan priest. And I'd like to conclude with just one of, a quote from one of his recent reflections. And he says, If we are to live on this earth, we cannot bypass the necessary tension of holding the contraries and the inconsistencies together. I'm just talking about holding the tension, not finding a resolution. I think opening to this holding is the very name and description of faith and belief. Unfortunately, in Christianity, faith has largely became, faith largely became about believing things to be true or false, right or wrong, instead of faith giving people concrete practices so they could know how to open up, how to let go, and how to be infilled from the source of love. And so I think these three statements encourage us to do just what Richard Rohr is suggesting, to open up, to acknowledge our limitations, and to let go of control and connect with the resourcefulness that comes from his spirit. May we increasingly learn how to do this together as we follow Jesus and follow his missionary heart for all who believe.